Hello and welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Jim Rugg. I'm Ed Piskor. Before we dive into Ed Brubaker's early comics with Low Life here, I want to remind everybody to like the video, subscribe to Cartoonist Kayfabe, hit that little bell icon to be notified whenever uh, new videos pop up. It will help you uh, offset the, the Kayfabe effect. When you see a new video, you can be the first one to chase it down on eBay or Amazon. And also, watch these videos, let them play through the end, because that will help our uh, help our videos reach new viewers and uh, new comic fans, so we appreciate that. But today we're going to dive into Low Life, number one. This is Ed Brubaker, who all of you at home may know from Captain America, from Criminal, from Gotham Central, from a bunch of mainstream DC, Marvel, and Image titles, but uh, had his start in alternative comics, both writing and drawing. You love it. Like, I've, I've always have said, man, give me a comic done by a singular person and I'm going to love the hell out of it man let me see what a Tom King drawn Batman comic looks like even if it has crude marks we've seen that Neil Gaiman has made like 24-hour comics and and will do roughs for his artists that could be the comic I'd happily read that even if you still want Todd Klein to do the lettering that's fine but uh it's just that singular vision is something that's so unique to comics and I love seeing a person's kind of world view through their own kind of language uh, when it comes to comics and this Brubaker stuff I, it's great you know like there was a point in my life where I was like is this the same Ed Brubaker can there be two Ed Brubakers there's two Kazes right <laughs> <laughs> yeah you think Ed Brubakers would be more common than Kaz <laughs> Um, we're going to look at issue number one, but it's worth noting this complete lowlife collection, probably the easiest of these books to find. And uh, I don't think it collects all the comics that ran in lowlife, but a pretty good sample. And uh, I always think, like, what a good book for, for Top Shelf as the publisher here. As Ed Brubaker becomes more and more successful, like, this has to be a fun seller for him, you know, digging into these guys' uh, back catalog. And as you say, Ed, it's cool to see the these writers actually drawing and uh, Brubaker does pretty good service as, a, as an artist and gets better throughout this series like uh, quickly. Yes, yes. Uh, this is uh, an era of very few like sort of really great independent comics and you could you could sort of point point all of them out. Yes. And then there was this like middle tier of the of those guys, you know, and this fits comfortably like in that section like this is not <laughs> yummy fur. As as we crack open, uh, it's not it's not eight ball. Even if he looks a little bit like Chester Brown here on the cover, <laughs> right, right. I mean, clear, clearly an influence, but um, but it's still you know it's better than what becomes the offspring of those comics with that like early two thousands yes. navel gaze period of autobiographical comics. This has puts way more real cards on the table, yeah, than, than all that kind of stuff. A pot of some of it too is just Brubaker lived a kind of a cooler life than than uh, it does you know, seem a lot that of those way. Guys. And takes liberties. Um, you know, it's not straight auto bio, yeah. even though auto bio is probably the starting point. Um, kind of interesting to see some of the story evolution in that regard, because I always think of him as being like noir influenced uh -huh. and stuff, uh, which makes for a very direct kind of writing, and I think works really well in comics testament to his success but uh you see bits of that in here yes. so kind of fun to see those origins uh first two issues i believe are published by caliber press and then he splits with them and goes to aeon and aeon i think is a 
they're based somewhere on the West Coast, but they published some other alternative comics from this kind of 90s period. Um, stuff we probably looked at, but this one, cover art, 1990. Yes. To, uh, you know, so ahead of that curve ed or that saturation of navel gazing that, that we saw in the late 90s and early 2000s. This is definitely in the front of that, and we're going to see it in this story, um, even ahead of Chester Brown's autobio, chronologically. There's uh, some thank yous in the complete low life that kind of just illustrate sort of where he comes from. And, and this is an exciting thing for me because when there's somebody who penetrates the mainstream but has reverence for actual good comics and good cartoonists, you want that guy working in your medium and you want that guy working in your mainstream medium, part of the medium, to try to like influence that a little bit. So here are some of the call-outs that, that he's making, man. First, Harvey Picar Hernandez Bros, including Mario, because Dos Bros is uh, not Los Bros. Uh, Eric Shanower, who's the guy who went from the, the indie circuit and went to mm -hmm. like uh, Marvel DC. Uh, Jason Lutz, John Lewis, Tom Hart, Dave Lasky, Megan Kelso, James Sturm, uh, Julie Doucet. So up to Julie Doucet, a lot of those, and, and not all of them, but a lot of them are that Seattle-based, you know, like they did some time in that Seattle area. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that was a tight alternative comics cartoonist circle for a while, you know, like a hot spot of uh, cool cartoonists in one city. Yeah, and there's other spots where he's calling out, uh, you know, Klaus and and uh, the, and those guys, you know, the be the best of 1990s comics. All right, so he starts out with this this kind of intro, and it's just... I don't know, outline a little bit of his uh, his background of getting into making this comic. And I was under the impression reading this that he had actually done a comic at SLG at Slave Labor, mm -hmm. but I could find no proof of that. Okay. So I don't know if he might have had something in the works that didn't end up being published or, or maybe had done some anthology work for them or something along those lines. But nevertheless, he's making comics almost in this slacker time period where there were a few people working in this direction. Yeah, Certainly yeah. below the uh, the mainstream radar, but but active nonetheless. You know, Julie Doucette's an interesting name in your thank you list because that's mail, you know, people were exchanging mini comics through the mail and, uh, you know, a number of cartoonists I, I know of that did that and, and some really good ones like Julie Doucette. So, June 1989 and uh, Mondo Low Life is the beginning of the story and we're just going through the day-to-day -day existence, right? Working a crummy job, fighting with his boss, having a bad attitude, and uh, looking like Chester Brown, you know, you can't ignore this because that's kind of what this first story is going to get into. Yeah, d d this first story, does it have the, the Fantagraphics interaction? A little bit, yeah. He talks about, um, he was making these comics and he would make them as mini comics and go to San Diego Comic-Con and uh, send them off to whoever, including Kim Thompson. So he had some interactions with Kim Thompson, the uh, co-publisher of Fantagraphics at the time. Mostly encouraging, but also noting there's some similarities with Chester Brown's <laughs> comics in this in your style. So that's my so that's my first interaction with these low life comics, and that's my first indication that there might be two Ed Brubakers out in the world because I knew the the popular polished comics writer Ed Brubaker at that time, and uh, I was just grabbing old issues of TCJ, um, and I think it might even be the one with uh, it's like a Matt Groening interview with the, with the with Bongo or or whatever. Uh, on on the co the cover great green cover and there's a little snippet of the chester brown you know page or strip or whatever that shows off kim thompson and whatnot and that's when i'm like is that the same ed brubaker or whatever but you know make, making fun of the uh the sort of similarities or whatever between uh yummy fur and and his own comics 
You know, the other person this reminds me of, and you mentioned it as a thank you, is Jason Lutz, who did mm -hmm. Berlin and has like a very tight style. And they, they, I believe, teamed up on a one shot called The Fall that mm -hmm. would have been like maybe in the late 90s or mid 90s. But just in terms of, you know, rendering and drawing, like very tight lines throughout this. Here's the thing, like, like his compositions are, are on point. And I think one of the things that I respond to the most when it comes to a, um, a writer who also draws is they have a very good sense of what can be accomplished visually in a comic page. It's a good skill for a comic book writer to have. Um, you know, Brubaker disappeared from, from, from Twitter uh, around when I started X-Men Grand Design. And, and we were in touch just in DMs and stuff there. And I remember, like, the, the complete lowlife is, is meaningful to me. Like, I, I like these comics a lot. And I'm like, is there ever a possibility of you ever drawing a comic again and he's like not a snowball's chance in hell like I'll, I'll just never do it again i think those guys have trouble whenever they have like a steve epting or yeah. or, 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 or sean phillips drawing like it's really hard to think like yeah maybe i'll draw one in between those two yeah, it's like, yeah. that's impossible i i linger on this page just because uh you know this is mondo low life this is sort of the snapshot you know a, a day in the life or a couple days you know shown where he lives and his roommates and he's in the kitchen they're they're fighting about who takes out the garbage and the dishes are piling up in the sink and stuff and he hears this noise, this like crackling sound, and he's looking around for it. What's going on? What is it? It's the sound of maggots moving around in their trash. You know, <laughs> I had a couple of friends, man. <laughs> I had a couple of friends. And they had, uh, there, there, there wasn't somebody around the house who had the clean gene. Yeah, it could, that could be rough. I had some, <laughs> uh, some, some, some dirty roommates in college, and, and uh, yeah, that's not... Uh, you got to be careful. You do need that clean gene in there. This makes me think, though, like I've heard of people talking about like discovering bodies that died in an apartment and were there for a while and hearing the, the maggots moving around like in the body. Yeah, when yeah. When they come into the I've, apartment to I've, clean I've, it up. I've seen a, uh, I was riding bikes and I saw a deer and I'm like, why is it moving like that? That's, that's the reason. Got a little close. And then I'm like, why is it boiling? Uh, got a little close. And I'm like, oh, that's just a lot of maggots. Yeah. All right, so uh, this is like a one-man anthology. I think there are three short stories in this first issue. This is your, your good man, Chester Brown, so a little reference there, of course, to Charlie Brown, and uh, going through his experience of being compared to Chester Brown, who would start doing autobio comics in Yummy Fur right around this time, maybe a little bit after this. So Ed Brubaker's mad because like he's doing the autobio stuff just six months ahead of Chester Brown, but getting compared to Chester Brown. And there's your Kim Thompson yeah, reference, Ed. That's the panel. So publisher Fanographics, of course, everybody would want to be published by them, you know, if you're an alternative cartoonist and uh, doesn't quite get the deal done. And it comes up, you know, it looks like Chester Brown. If you love comics, you love Cartoonist Kayfabe. And the best way to support Cartoonist Kayfabe is to buy our books and to join our Patreons. So my next book, Hulk Grand Design, Monster Madness, starting in March. Marvel commissioned me to celebrate the Hulk's 60th birthday. That happens in March, available wherever comics are sold, and it's a retelling of the Hulk's history in two oversized, bursting-at-the-seam issues, 10,000 pages distilled down into 80 super dense, hopefully super fun, good-looking comic book pages. So ask your local comic shop to reserve your Hulk Grand Design the next time you're in there. We've got some really cool awesome extras like Ed Piscor's Hulk Grand Design cover variant, Peach Momoko did a variant, Marcos Martin, and Hulk Grand Design Madness with the Jeff Darrow cover. So ask your local comic shop to save these comics for you now so you will not be left in the dark. 
Other books that are available now wherever books are sold, The Plain Janes, my 500-page young adult graphic novel with Cecil Castellucci about a bunch of high school artists who start doing public art around their town, Alabanksy, and get in all sorts of trouble with their uh, authorities, teachers, parents, and fellow students. Perfect for the young adult reader in your life. And Street Angel, Deadliest Girl Alive, available from Image Comics. This collects the entire Image Comics run of Street Angel in glorious full color. Eight complete stories, including a couple of stories that were not uh, published by Image Comics or anywhere except mini comics. Uh, one, a Christmas story that I actually sent to my family. So you get all of that in this Street Angel, Deadliest Girl Alive trade paperback available wherever books are sold. From Ed, we have... His current magnum opus, the Outlaw comic, Red Room, the Antisocial Network, again available wherever books are sold, collecting the first four issues of Red Room. Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit collects the first four issues, along with a bunch of great back matter, including the first written draft of Red Room, which is really cool to see. This is the kind of stuff where I would double dip when I was buying comics, and I would buy the comics and then the collections to get that back matter. The next series of Red Room, Trigger Warnings, is coming also in March, Cartoonist Kayfabe Month. Ask your local comic shop to reserve this because of a ransomware attack. These could be a little bit rare, this first issue. So this is the cover to buy as soon as you see it. There are also some variant covers. This is my variant cover, an homage to Robert Crumb's Zap Comics, Peach Momoko coming in, and Ed Piscor's variant. Also available from Ed is the Hip Hop Family Tree, available as single volumes or as these deluxe boxed sets absolutely uh beautiful man even that they even feel good ed but uh four complete volumes these are covering the history of hip-hop comics from the 1970s up until 1985 um, non-fiction comics perfect for the music lover in your life or the comics fan WYSIWYG, a story about a computer hacker throughout the history of high technology you can see a beautiful black and white comic here and of course x-men grand design the whole start of Hulk brand design actually begins here a retelling of the 30 year the first 30 years of X-Men 300 issues distilled into three beautiful volumes of X-Men grand design telling one coherent story about Marvel's most popular characters and their history and again available wherever books are sold you can join our patreons at the links below this video now that we're done paying the bills back to the video yeah, man. Uh, and, and I mean, that's what you would do. You would put your comics together. There's a few good publishers. And at the, the, the top of the list, you know, Drawn Quarterly really isn't Drawn and Quarterly yet. Like Seth and all those guys probably still publishing through Vortex. I was going to say, I don't think the Ch that uh, Chester's being published yet by D&Q. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like Fantagraphics is, is the top dogs in, in that universe, man. And to be re rejected by them, it hurts, man. And, and uh since high school like I was sending them stuff got rejected every time and Jimmy I'm so thankful oh man if those comics would have been published I, I, I would still be hearing about it yeah right I like this this that's his stack of mini comics that he made that's so I always cool. love seeing comics and comics and he's buddies with Chester Brown so there's a letter from Chester this is him talking on the phone with Chester Brown about this showing some of the Chester Brown artwork to say look I'm different than him but if you're a Chester Brown fan, you do recognize some parallels here. Yeah. You know, in panel compositions and things like that. And it's also kind of neat because he has two interactions with Kim Thompson, like one in person at San Diego Comic-Con, and then like later on when he sends him comics and calls for a follow-up, and you get a little bit of a different response. Some of it's consistent, but also 
you know how it is. You look at comics on a Tuesday, and uh, next week it's it might be a different a different deal how you feel about that comic. You know. Yeah, that's that's also one of those very confusing things for like a young uh, artist right. who who's, who might be you know even a little bit on that spectrum or something where it's like, well, make up your mind. What should I do? And and truly, the the answer is. You gotta you gotta do your own thing. You gotta make the best comics you can, and kind of not listen to anybody. If you get in the in the door with Fantagraphics, read any interview with any Fantagraphics cartoonist, and and I could uh, concur with all of it. You finish your comic, you turn it in. They'll tell you, is it okay if it comes out this date? They don't tell you if it's good. They don't tell you <laughs> that it's bad. Uh, when you're welcomed into you know the La Cosa Nostra. Like you're part of the family, like you're you're in, you know, like that's the that's the only approval that you'll ever get from them. Yeah, right. A lot of backgrounds in this stuff. I saw a, um, I think it's in one of these later issues. Dave Cooper was staying with him and drew like the his apartment. I guess Ed was at work or whatever, and uh, and it reminds me now, like whenever I see all the backgrounds and stuff, like it makes sense why a young cartoonist does auto bio stuff. Because it's just, it's, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's stuff around you. Yeah, and, and, and frankly, you spend so much of your time learning to draw in your early life that you didn't do anything. Like, like uh, uh, you, you don't, you, like, write what you know. All you know is what you've been doing. You don't know anything else, man, because you, you didn't pay attention in English class and shit like that. You know what, I should also mention, uh, this is a... Chester Brown's on the phone, and he's saying that Seth saw Low Life and said, uh, "This this looks kind of like your stuff, Chester." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love it because it's a bunch of it's almost name dropping, right? Yeah, some Hernandez brothers mentioned. Yeah. So it's kind of fun if you're a uh, a longtime comics fan, alternative comics fan, to see this stuff. So this is the story that he's talking about in the previous story. Uh, last time Tommy went to a nightclub, and it's a 1989 uh, date on that one. Tommy is his character's name. And yeah. this is, again, like how it deviates a little bit from, say, a traditional autobio comic. And I think it deviates more and more as he's like going through the low life series. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Uh, because because uh, this Tommy gets involved in dealing with some meth and shit like that and, and taking it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty hardcore. Yeah, there's some bad behavior for sure on display. So if you uh, if you step away from autobio, maybe it frees you up to uh, have some of this bad behavior. It's it's a great piece of plausible deniability, man. So uh, it, it frees you up in as much as like, you know, somebody calls you out on some shit. Listen, that's the that's the fictional part of the game. Very smart, very wise. <laughs> He stumbles onto this mural that's being like, you know, live painted or whoever paints a dick on the thing. Dude. <laughs> right in the middle of the page of the comic book page, too. So well done. Uh, good instincts there as a cartoonist. H hanging out in, in CMU, like uh, in studios, like super late at night, 3 a.m. when the cleaning crew's coming through. I was there this one time and uh, the senior, you know, the, the, the senpai janitor had the co-hi janitor with them and was like, if you see a pile of something on the floor... If you think that for it, like one instance that it might not be garbage, like don't touch it, don't touch it. It might be artwork, <laughs> you know, because they're total Pittsburgh Yinzer dudes. You yes. know what I mean? Like if if you see That's a pile so of funny. Floor, like only take out the stuff in the <clears throat> trash bags. How many how many art students must have lost art projects because the garbage was thrown out with the garbage? <laughs> it had to happen one or, one or two times, man, because it was something that was stressed. That's so funny. That's so funny. 
So he basically gets drunk at this club, makes an ass of himself, gets thrown out, drives home super drunk, and, uh, you know, I guess makes it home, I want to say safely, but ill-advised behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, look, this is, what, early 20s? Like, this is, I feel like every dude goes through early 20s, horrible, self-destructive, bad choices. <laughs> so that's what you're seeing here. And, again, fitting in that kind of, like, that slacker, you know, it feels like that was in the air from, from movies and other comics at that time period, and that's what you're getting chronicled here. Jimmy, this is the sexy stuff. This, this is, is the this, good stuff. This is, when, this is when Guy Davis is really becoming Guy Davis. Like, I think Vince Locke does some inking or at least a lettering on some of that Baker Street stuff. Like, I have the, uh, I have the trade of that that I think, Ooh. like, some weird, maybe, checker or somebody. It's, it's, not, it's not the greatest, but it's the complete... Yeah, and, I don't have issue 10. It's a hard one to get. So the trade is a... Uh, that's what you need the trade for. Yeah, I have a bunch of issues also. Um, a couple but, of shout-outs over here. Dark Horse Presents number 50 is running a collaboration that he did with uh, his friend Mike Christian. So, like, you know, you can see that progression of trying to get into comics, right? I wouldn't say desperate, but I mean, like, trying to get into comics, however it works. And Dark Horse was one of those choices at the time and has gone on to do a few Dark Horse Presents stories uh, back in the day. And then his list of comics everyone should read. And I'm going to read these because it's not very long, but it shows you what alternative comics were in 1991. 8-Ball, Hate, Yummy Fur, Yahoo, Jim, American Splendor, Love and Rockets, Unsupervised Existence. I don't know if I know that title. Cerebus, Drawn and Quarterly. That's when it, that was their anthology. Yeah. So early days of Drawn and Quarterly. Graphic Music, Mike Allred, um, any of Crumb's weirdo stories, and anything you can find by Joe Matt. That's an interesting list, man. And, and that's and that's that's the list, you know. That's it. Really is. That's like, what there was. I say it all the time. Like you used to be able to read all, buy all of whatever it is you were into. If you were into Marvel, you could afford. Maybe in 1990, it's starting to balloon. But you know, you could buy all the Marvels or all the DCs or all the alternative comics at the time and pretty much keep up with it. So times have changed. But yeah, I love seeing these ads. Ooh, I'm gonna flip through these music. to show it off. Talk about some good quality artists, right? Like. I have a few of these graphic musics. Allred was good when he hit the ground, like, from the like he hit start, the ground running. From the start, uh, I remember seeing his early stuff and thinking that there was like a Bernie Merlot kind of vibe to it. And yeah. then to see them like working on stuff together, it's like, yeah, that totally makes sense, man. Because like there's some similar sensibility. Because like it was even more Bernie Merlot, like, I mean, this isn't Bernie Merlot look at stuff, but like it was his work was a little cruder than that in, in the, uh, the, the early joints. It's funny too, because like designing an ad for the ad you know like like he's got characters talking about you think folks will buy this comic beats me maybe if the ad was sexier putting a centerfold in there like this is just you know ad, ad created to sell this book and then this right here to me to me is like quintessential caliber yes. comics like this is what a caliber comic looks like uh you know it's all the other stuff a caliber comic is not low life like i was surprised that issue one was was caliber but this is you know kind of piggybacking off of the early outlaw comics of, of like the James O'Barr, the Guy Davis, the Vince Locke, except it's just guys that sort of came in, did their cup of coffee, bounced, and went to like work regular folk jobs or something. I would love somebody to do like a history of caliber because they published a lot of books and a lot of good cartoonists, even if it was, you know, early works or a cup of coffee, like they published a lot of stuff and it's, the, you know, it's, it's Michigan, like it's a different flavor. I would love to have like a like a good concise history. Airwaves by Michael Lark, and I mentioned this because Amazing. Michael Lark draws Gotham Central, which is the the Batman book that Ed Brubaker, you know, like one of his first mainstream comics, one yeah. of his first Marvel DC jobs, and it's 
in collaboration with Michael Lark. So kind of cool to see him show up here. And there's Eric Shannon. Exactly. This is a fun strip, The Mighty Mutants of Maynardville. And it just goes through and describes like each of these characters is what their what their mutant power is. Like this guy has, has uh, born with no legs and he can't walk. That's his, that's his power. <laughs> and they each have that kind of thing. So a little uh, lampooning the X-Men a little bit. This would be the, the era of Maynard to James Keenan, probably. And then low-life roommates. And again, like, I don't know. If you were ever a 20-year-old dude, you could probably relate to this. Yeah, like the, that, that term slacker, Generation X, is, is used when, when talking about low-life comics a lot. Um, it feels right to me. Yeah, you know, it's certainly of that time period. Which, if you know, if you lived through it like like we did, it's kind of cool to see a snapshot of that time period. It feels like a period piece in that regard. It was so funny too, man. Is uh, being a little kid reading this kind of stuff. I was kind of stoked to grow up <laughs> to like be those dudes, and now approaching forty years old. I'm glad that's the rearview mirror. It's so funny. When you're a kid, this is like romantic. Yeah. And whenever you're an adult, it's the saddest, most depressing thing ever if that's how you're living. It's your trajectory, man. Totally. And then at a certain point, man, you watch your kids go through that shit. Yes. Well, <laughs> some people do. <laughs> that's all I've got on Low Life Ed, but kind of cool to get to dig into, uh, you know, like I say, one of the big creators, I think, these days, uh, creator-owned and, and Marvel DC. Um, I know that's in his rearview mirror, but certainly it's on his resume and it's it's awesome to see sort of the history like he's gone through all of these different phases of comics you know once again man uh we have a big audience that came to us by way of wizard magazine mainstream comics the big two you can't take for granted man a lot of people might not know that he had this uh illustrious past so this is the book complete low life is the one that you're going to be able to get your hands on and uh you know maybe we pull out another issue or two in the future, this stuff was a, was a fun read. Let's yeah, go definitely. Around. Good to go, Jimmy? I am. Okay, favors, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell. We'll notify you when new vids are available. What's out there, Jimmy? Hulk Grand Design. Tell your local comic shop to reserve a copy for you today. Um, hopefully that book is going to blow off the stand. So pre-ordering it and letting your comic shop know to get Hulk Grand Design is the best way to, uh, to make that book successful. So thanks in advance for letting them know that. And you can join me on Patreon at patreon.com slash jimrog. Red Room Trigger Warnings, Issue 1, coming out in March. Man, Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit is the name of the game. Uh, you could read these comics ahead of time on my Patreon, patreon.com slash edpiscor. There are links in my uh, link tree in the description below this video where you can pre-order the, the next round of comics. Every issue completely self-contained, so you just need to read one to get a complete story unlike those other comics that'll be on the racks at that point in time. Jimmy, what else do we have out there? Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merchandise at the links below this video. Look at this, man. He's even messing around with uh, different materials for drawing. Like, he's brush inking right there. Jimmy, give him those Martian orders. We'll be on our way. Read more comics.